0: All right, we're going to be looking at three verses from Hebrew tonight, and the three events that he that he looks at. So the first one here is in verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea, speaking of course of Israel, as by dry ground, or dry land. And the uh, you might see the word italicized land, it actually just says uh, by dry, but it's kind of insinuated that it's land. It may not have been initially, maybe that's why the word isn't in there, because it was underneath the water. And maybe we don't call that land, but um, that's where that comes from. That's why that's italicized, in case you're wondering. Whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. So not by faith did they cause the waters to part, and not by faith did they defeat the Egyptians. He didn't say that, because there was no faith on their part to do either of those things. Mm-hmm. They had no faith, because if you remember when they came up to the, to the Red Sea, they're grumbling, complaining about the army behind them. Right. And they're grumbling, complaining about the Red Sea in front of them. So they don't like any of these things. So there is no faith involved with that. But by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Now they passed through by faith. Here's where the faith is involved. They're passing through something they had never seen before. Never seen this. we would never seen it either. But they had never seen it. I don't even think they would have dreamt about it. I mean if you were stuck there and never had heard anything like this. We've heard about it in Exodus, so maybe we can dream about it. But they had never even heard of anything like this going on. I don't even know if they could dream about it, that this would go on. Uh, they enter a place of extreme danger, at least in the natural. It is a place of extreme danger to go down when there's a wall of water on your right and a wall of water on your left. And it's, it may be frozen water, but it, it's still there. I remember that trip, um, Christian and I, we took the trip many, many years ago. To, uh, um, Colorado. And in Colorado, they have, uh, a lot of snow. And so when we went up on the, uh, high mountaintop to, uh, bike down the mountaintop, the, uh, when we got up there, we were on the roads and the, the rope by the side of the road, I think that pile of snow was 15, 20 feet high. Just looking up at that, just 15, 20 feet high. And I'm sure that the water here is a lot more than 15 or 20 feet high. And that was something to look at because we've never looked at 15, 20 foot of snow. And my first thought was, you know, it took me a little, little while to figure out how they, how they got all that snow there. But I mean, it's just perfectly straight, perfectly straight walls. How do you get a perfectly straight wall 15, 20 feet high? Finally figured it out that as they, as they plow, they plow out one or two feet. And then when the new stuff falls on top, it just, uh, uh, doesn't, doesn't land, uh, well, it only lands another two feet in, in front of the other pile and they plow that away. And so now that pile has gone up to, to four and they just keep on going. And that's how that wall is perfectly straight. They don't actually have anything that goes up and pushes it. Um, but that's how I envisioned it anyway. But that was, uh, that was quite a thing to picture. These things on, on both sides of you. And one of the things you do think about is, well, what's keeping it from falling? But it never did fall. And I guess it must not have fallen for them in the time where they would have done something about it. But here, these things are, they gotta be intimidating. See this water on one side and water on the, on the other side. And however wide they are, I mean, it's not, you're not going through 50 yards of, of drive space. I'm sure it's a lot wider than a football field. It's, um, provided them plenty of room to pass for two to four million people to be going across. And the ground had dried. So they enter a place of extreme danger, at least in the natural, but in faith, it is a place of complete safety. That's something we have to sometimes realize. That when we go into a place that our faith takes us, it may be a place of complete danger in the natural. But it's a place of complete safety. As long as we're there in faith. You stand there in faith and you are in a good you're in a good spot. I think Brother Keith was talking about that. Keith Moore was talking about that. Uh, one of the places he was at, um, there were some dangerous things going on in the place they were out there to preach the Word. And uh, I think whoever was over top of the, the trip just said, well, you are safer here in the will of God than you are any other place outside of the will of God. But that's that's pretty good. He enjoyed those words that that person had, uh, had shared. So is there a place in your life that's kind of like this where in faith you're completely safe but if you're in that same place outside of faith that's not, uh, that's not so good. See the Egyptians they just passed through they didn't, have, they didn't pass through in faith they didn't have a word from God God didn't want them to go through God didn't tell them to go through but they went through and some people will do this. They'll see another Christian do something, and then I'll just go ahead and do the same thing. And that's not what we can do. You have to go in the word of God. And you know some of the easy examples we have, you know, people get into a meeting and they see somebody get healed and they throw their glasses away. And so then they well, I'll just throw my glasses away. And they throw their glasses away. I think Rick Renner was one of the ones who recently I heard tell that story and threw his glasses down, stomped on them. <laughs> And then uh, he realized on his way home, he was a danger. <laughs> he was driving the car. He couldn't really see. I think it was Rick Renner. He said to somebody, re- I heard recently he was telling that story. But um, the Egyptians didn't have a word from God. And you may be even going in a place that's safe, that's good, that God wants you to go to, but you've got to have the word of God. you got to first off get what does the the Word of God say. What does God say for you for that situation? Get hold of that and then go on through and and do it. Too often we just have copycat Christians. Well, so-and-so believed God for this and -and so-and-so went and did this and I'm just going to go ahead and do the same thing. It does not work that way. And this is what happened here. They had orders of a king who had shown to be less powerful than God. Pharaoh was shown that he wasn't as powerful as God Almighty through all the ten plagues. But they let their fear of something inferior influence their decision making and chose something they otherwise never would. Because those guys would never have gone through this kind of a phenomena. But because the king ordered them to, the pharaoh ordered them to, they went on ahead and did it. We can't just go through just because somebody tells us to, somebody orders us to. We can't do it. we got to go through because the word of God says to, to go through. They went through, of course, to harm the people of God. God's not standing for that. You're going through the horn of people of God. I'm the guy holding that water back. He just kind of let it go through. And so that's what he, he says here. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry ground or on dry ground, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Now you can go back to the book of Exodus and read over the account of that. And of course the chariot wheels are falling off and they're crashing in the Inside, and once they saw all that going on, because they've been out in battle before, maybe one chariot wheel falls off, but now all the chariot wheels are falling off, and this is we don't have this many chariot wheels falling off at the, the same time. Look at that one's down, that one's down, that one's down. This is this is telling them something, but now they're in the middle of the thing. How are you going to get out of there that fast? And uh, of course, they aren't. So, things that were altered in this, because in all the other examples, we saw times that were altered. Ages that were altered. Here we saw that the Egyptian nation was, was one of the things altered. That their army was altered. Their power was altered. Their uh, wealth was altered. Their land had been altered, of course, with all the other things that were going on. But here the power of Egypt was just washed underneath of all that, all that water. And so that was what they had to protect themselves. They had all kinds of wealth other nations would like to get, but they didn't want to contend with the army of Egypt. Well, now they don't have to. I don't know how much of it was wiped out, how much of it he took, whether he took all of it or he took most of it or he took some of it. But whatever he took, he lost it all. Israel was altered because that's a life-altering situation. And uh, they were at least altered until they ran out of water and food. (laughs) So that altering didn't seem to like it lasted for too long. But Canaan was altered and we'll find out here before we get through Rahab tells a testimony of how Canaan was altered because of this situation. They heard about what happened at the Red Sea and it affected them, altered them. He goes on in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Now, when you think of the, of the city of Jericho and they're encircling us for seven days, don't get the idea that they walked around Philadelphia or that they walked around New York City. They did not. They walked around Jericho. Uh, they didn't even walk around Boston. Anybody been to the Boston? I drove through it one time. Blinked my eyes and was almost all the way through. That is one small little town right there. That is not big at all. But the size of the city of Jericho. Anybody know what it is? About six acres. Now, Think about a place that has about six acres in it and imagine walking around that. How long would it take you? It would not take you very long, would it? We're not lo- talking about something that's all day. Again, they have another day. They have to do this for seven days. But they have to um, walk around this for six acres. I heard uh, one place that made an estimate, and I, I think this is low because I tried to picture six acres and I don't see it being this low. They thought maybe they were walking 600 meters. I think it's more than that. I think it's closer to about a mile than it would take to get get around six acres. But, because um, again, if the city is six acres, the designs I've seen in the city they had an inner wall and an outer wall. And then they had to walk around that. So they're walking a bigger loop. You're not walking right next to the wall. You're you're walking a little bit of a distance away from it. So I would guess maybe a mile, mile and a half, something in that neck of the woods. So if could you imagine going out for a mile walk every day? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people go out for a two, three mile walk every day and don't think too much about it. So it's not like it was a huge, huge area to walk, but you're looking to get two to four million people all coordinated to go and do that walk. That's, that's a lot. And of course, if you go back into the, to the word and jo- into Joshua, they had to do it quietly. So you had to be quiet over the course of that walk. And, uh, and that was important. And, you know, Some people, when they walk, how many people have, you know, folks that you walk with? And you, um, you just stay home? You just stay home. Yeah, some people, they go out and they walk and, you know, they talk. When um, they, I was going out to the group, Ron. I haven't been going out there for a while, but we'll be back into going there soon. <laughs> but, but there are some people and they, and they not just the girls. I mean, there's some guys that do this too. It's not just a, a girl thing. And they talk the whole time. And they talk the whole time. I get amazed at these two guys. Uh, I mean, the one guy, John, he's tall. He's probably the tallest guy there. And he's faster than I am. He doesn't look fast. He doesn't look like he's running fast. But I have to work real hard to be able to get up to, to catch up to him. Cause he's, he, he goes pretty well. But he's always going with another guy and the entire time they're talking. Now I know that because I usually am with them for the first three, four miles of the, of the run. And then they uh, get a little too far ahead of me. and I, I, But the whole time, they're talking. Talk, 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 talk. And there's some groups of the girls, and they get around, and the whole time that you, you, you pass the book all the time, talking. Just talking, talking, talking. I, I run with, when I run, I run with John. You, and, you all met John before. And I, I've told my family, I said, I like John. I like running with John. Because John knows when to shut up. <laughs> We don't sit there and talk the whole time. We talk maybe for the first half mile. How was work? How was it good? How was things? All right, let's get going with the run. And Because we push each other enough that we don't want to be talking. <laughs> we want to be running. We want to be going. But most people, if you're just going on a casual walk and you got a lot of people there, it's hard not to just I mean, get yourself involved in a conversation. In a conversation uh, to go. But no conversation can go on with this. For the mile, mile and a half, whatever it was that they would have to go around here. So this is what they did. Every day they would go out and they would do this. Now they had to do this for seven days. What happens in Israel every seven day? They have a Sabbath, which means they were walking around the city on the Sabbath, which probably exceeded their steps. It probably exceeded the amount of time or the allotment they were allowed to walk on the on a Sabbath day because there was a stipulation of what they were supposed to to do before it was considered to be work uh, so this is probably more than that but if God tells you to do it guess what you go out there and do it that's why Jesus didn't have a problem with healing people on the Sabbath and God told him to heal somebody that's God telling them so it must be okay God's not going to tell you not to do something you're not supposed to do so they uh they went out there by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days Now it is interesting to note that the writer of Hebrews goes from the Red Sea to the Battle of Jericho and doesn't cover anything in between. (laughs) And our first thought is well there wasn't anything of faith in between but there were some things of faith. There were some battles that they went through and they won. Um, There was the crossing of 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 the river to get into the Promised Land which I think involved more faith than the Red Sea because on that one the waters hadn't parted until they picked up the Ark of the Covenant and the priest stepped out and they stepped into water. And then once they stepped into the water, then things began to to start. So that took a little bit more faith on their part to do that. We didn't mention that. We mentioned the Red Sea. And then go right up to this one. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Now, it may be that he just can't mention all the, the episodes and he's just trying to get to certain ones. And Because um, I, I think he would have included the crossing of Jericho otherwise. But he left that one out and goes up here to the to the walls of Jericho. Now I went and did some looking up on the Jericho and some of the archaeological things that were found and a couple of people had gone on through, one lady who had gone through tried to to place the uh, uh, destruction of Jericho about two hundred years before the children of Israel. And there's she was saying that, well there was no city here. Now again that's carbon dating. Carbon dating is not extraordinarily accurate, and then it also has depends on the things that you're, that you're pulling out. It's, so there's not, not a whole lot of accuracy that's, that goes on there. You know, it's kind of like our computer generated, uh, figures, which I guess they came into the light, if any of you heard uh, all that stuff about Puerto Rico and the death toll in Puerto Rico. Well, apparently the death toll in Puerto Rico was not because of a body count. It was because of a computer generated number. That uh, was kind of interesting. <laughs> but, uh, so I guess we really didn't know what the body count was down in there. We know people died, but, uh, they didn't, they didn't do that. They pulled a computer generated number and then they're all getting in fuss because of, of, uh, you know, whether it's two or, or not. But, um, anyway, we got these folks and they were saying around 1400 is when this city fell and the children of Israel were somewhere around 1200 BC in, the, in that neck of the woods. But then other people came up and they came up with dating that was right around the time of Israel that Jericho would have been there at that time. As they pull it up and as they begin to look at the, the things that were going involved, they did see that the city of uh, Jericho, that the walls did fall down. And that they had fallen, the walls had fallen onto the houses. They fell inside. They did not fall to the outside. They fell to the inside and that a lot of the houses were were filled with uh, debris from the wall. Except there was one section of the wall that did not fall. And it was on the north side, and there were houses attached to it. Guess who lived there? <laughs> Just like the Bible had said. So isn't it interesting that you can have people who can find a city that they said first off didn't exist, didn't exist at the time of the children of Israel, but the Bible gives a depiction that this thing fell and fell very sad. And when they did the evacuation, they did checking out the city, they did find out that this city did not fall because of an attack as of um, like a siege, that there was food inside the city. When you have a siege, you know, the food goes down, you starve the people out, that kind of thing. They could tell that a siege had not occurred on this particular city. They could tell that the city was burned and they could tell that one wall, part of the wall did not fall and if you go back to the Bible it tells them all those all those factors in the story of Jericho and yet well I don't think that that's true but you're only finding out these, these facts now the Bible said thousands of years ago this is how it happened but you're going to tell me it didn't happen around the time of Israel it's just ridiculous but this is the kind of people that we live in live with that, uh, you could tell them, you know, this is what's written down, and if the, the Bible wants to tell me that the city fell the way that the archaeologists are finding out that it fell, then I'm going to believe that it happened around the time of the children of Israel. Not nope. when these scientists want to tell me that it, that it was. Especially since the first one came up with some bogus stuff, and the next one that came in, they found out that wasn't so true, and, Anyway, that information's out there if you you want to. But here again we're gonna see this list by faith Israel belief for something they'd never seen before. We've never seen a wall just fall. Especially one that was as as thick as this one was. They had a pretty good size uh wall as the Bible described it. But they'd never seen a wall fall. For no reason, just just to fall. Now a lot of these archaeologists trying to say that an earthquake caused the fall. I don't think an earthquake caused it to fall because the Bible doesn't say that an earthquake caused it to fall. It has said other times that God caused an earthquake and that it uh, caused things to fall. But it's not saying that here. And the children of Israel were affected by an earthquake. It doesn't seem like they were affected by an earthquake. Now, they don't know that an earthquake happened. They just think that it must have. Because they don't believe in a God who can knock down walls. I can't imagine these folks even dreamt about this until Moses came down, or until Joshua came down, says, "All right, guys, here's the plan. We're going to walk around the city for six days, and on the seventh day, we're going to walk around it seven times, and then the walls are going to fall down." Really? That's the plan? I don't think they would have dreamt that any kind of a plan like that would have gone on. They entered a place of extreme danger. They are going to the enemy they're putting themselves in a, in a vulnerable position here with the enemy. But in faith, it's a place of complete safety. It's a safe place because they're where God said to be. Mm-hmm. If God says, go over to the city and walk around it, that's where you want to be. You don't want to be back in the safety of the camp because that's not going to be safe anymore. Now, this had nothing visible like the Red Sea. The Red Sea, they could see the water had parted. They could see the dry ground. And the, it says, by faith, they walked through. They passed through what they saw. But they didn't see anything on this. They walked around it the first day, and then came back. And then walked around it the second day, and then came back. And walked around the third day, and came back. Don't you know that there were some people who probably said, I don't think this is working. But God didn't say it would start to crack, or parts of it would begin to fall off. He said, walk around this and on the seventh day, this is what's going to happen. Because that's how, how God said it. <laughs> on the, on the seventh day. But some people were probably looking for the third day, and for the fourth day. It's kind of like, you know, go wash in the, go wash in the river. And while I washed in it one time, I didn't see any change. He didn't say wash in it. One time. How many times did they say washing it? Seven. Go dip into Jordan seven times. So you go out there in the first time, and you come back and there's no change. You go out there in the second time, come back, no change. Third, fourth, fifth, no change. Well, God didn't say there'd be any change on the fifth one, or the sixth one, or the seventh, or the you just said the seventh one. He didn't say there'd be any change on the sixth day when they're walking around the city. He didn't say on the seventh day after you walked around it one time there'd be all fallen down. He said on the seventh day you got to walk around it seven times. And then on the seventh time this is what you do. You all make noise, blow the trumpets, all this sort of stuff. And So that's what I did. Walls came crashing down because they did what God said. But people, we, we still get these ideas. All right, well, if God said to do this, this, and this, I'll do this and this and see if I see a change. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do this, 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 and this. Do all those things and then we see a change. But we gotta do all those things. You know, there's people out there and God will, they got some kind of condition, believe in God for, and God will, God will tell them to exercise. I don't like that one. God will say, give up coffee. Can get a second opinion? You know, we don't. when he says we do something, and we don't like it. I'm going to get another opinion on that. <laughs> I'll do it as long as it's easy. But um, mm. but not just in those things. You know, we pick on exercise because and, and, we we think about that a lot. We're involved with that. But what if God is, is dealing with somebody on the un, area of unforgiveness? The area of bitterness. you got to let that bitterness go. I don't want to. i got it right. We got unforgiveness that's in our life. We got anger that keeps coming out. We got hurt feelings we don't want to let go of. And God comes to you and says, "Let that go." But Father, they don't deserve for me to let let that go. So it seems that to me, just about every time in the Word of God that God says to somebody do something, they don't like it. Now I don't know that it's purposely God finding something that you don't like to get you to do it. <laughs> Or if it's because that thing that we like so much has taken hold of us and God says, that's the hold that you have to break. I think it's more the latter. But just know when God picks out something, there's a reason for it. Don't sit there and question. Why do we got to do it seven days? Isn't three days enough? I think three days ought to be enough. He didn't say three days, he said Seven. And I don't find any place in the Word of God where it says that they had a problem with day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, or day seven. And it always tells us when they had a problem before. I don't see that they had any problem with any of this. They just went out there and they did it. And they stayed quiet the whole time they were walking around. They may be saying, why do we got to be quiet? Because God said so. You gotta listen to what God says to do. Generally, He's gonna tell us some things that have gotten a, a hook in us, and we need to get rid of that hook. Cause it's what's holding us back. It's a whole lot of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness that's keeping people sick. It's keeping people down. Keeping people bound up with things. God may be speaking to you to let some of those things go. You are the one who is being more the victim than anything else. Most of the times, if we have something going wrong, I want to just say, Father God, I believe I'm healed in Jesus' name. I believe I'm provided for in Jesus' name. I believe whatever it might be. And that uh, faith to do that is, is all we need. But there's obedience too. In the Red Sea Crossing, there was an obedience factor. On the, on the Jordan Crossing, there was more of an obedience factor. When we get to Jericho, there's a whole lot more obedience factor going on. And when there's one person who decided not to obey that obedience, it affected the entire nation in the battle of Ai that came up next. So nothing would be visible for seven days. And here we see that this altered the the nation of Israel. It altered them because of the, the the sin in the camp, but it also altered them because their faith grew. They did what God said, and their faith grew and canaan Canaan became in fear after this they were in fear before now they're really in fear that's one of the most powerful cities, and one of the ones that was kind of the uh the inroads it kind of guarded all the all the ways to get in or many of the ways to get in somehow it was one of those strategic cities from what i'm I'm told of the ancient world back then so it uh it shook the land of Canaan because I knew these people meant business. You mean the walls just fell down? You mean they didn't batter them? They didn't ram them? They didn't do anything against them? They just walked around the city and the walls fell down? It has to have profound effect on them because that had never happened before. And now it happened for them. Well, if their walls that were known throughout the, the whole nation of Canaan. If their walls fell, what, do we st- what chance do we stand? Then we get to verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Now Rahab is the only believer in the city of about a million people. Imagine this. I'm, I'm giving the I'm giving the low estimate because the estimates of this population of Jericho is between 1 and 1.5 million people. How do all those people live in six acres? 6 acres? Well, what happens in a city like this is a lot of them live on the outside of the city and when the city comes into attack, they all come back inside the city. So they're all inside a, the city kind of compact, but then they kind of spread out a little more. So I imagine that's what was, uh, going on. But that's the estimates that I had read and found but let's just go with a low estimate that there's 1 million people inside this city estimates are for Israel there are about 2 to 4 million people at this point 1 million people inside the city what are the chances that two spies find the one believer that is inside the city of Jericho I would say 1 in a million wouldn't you or a million and a half or whatever number that you want to Put in there. Can you imagine one person in a in a city of one million? What's the population of Philadelphia now? I know it's more than one million. Is it only two? Philadelphia is two point five, and they're saying Jericho is one million people. Wow! I wonder how they did get one million people and all that sort of stuff. Oh my! Well, can you imagine walking in the city of Philadelphia? Let's just say Philadelphia is even one-tenth the population that it is. And you don't know who this person is. You don't know what they look like. You don't even know what their name is. You don't know if they're a guy. You don't know if they're a girl. But you got to go find this one person who's a believer. What are your odds? They aren't very good, are they? But the two spies happen to come upon the one person who's a believer. Now we know that it's only one person who's a believer because look at the verse again. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who... So that means that those who perished did not believe. believe That she did believe. So she's the only one who believes out of the city. Hmm. So they got to find... This one I don't even know if they're looking for it. They may not even expect her to be a believer in the in the city, but they come here and it could be all kinds of things. They may be following the spirit of God. The spirit of God may be leading them. Go go to her house, knock on this door. Follow that person on the way home. I don't know what it is, but somehow they had a leading and they came to the right place. They knocked on the right door, and they um they went the right way. And she said. uh we want to actually read her her testimony. Now she was called a harlot. Some people thought that she had got saved many times, many years before when she first heard about this. and may have changed her occupation to just run a hotel. But the word of God in the book of Joshua calls her a harlot. So I don't know. If she got born again, you'd wonder how she could stay in the same occupation. But it may be that she didn't feel like she had any other occupation or she may actually have turned her um, occupation into a, Hotel for people to come in and stay. But whatever it is, I don't know that we can surely be able to find that out. But Joshua chapter 2, let's take a look at her testimony. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly saying, Go view the land especially Jericho. So they went, came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now they lodged there. It it could be that they just it turned into a place of... uh, uh, a room rental instead of the other. Because I cannot see two Israelite men finding a harlot's house. Hey, can we stay? I just, I don't see that happening. But um, maybe he did. Well, Joshua, he gets a little smarter. Moses sent out 12. Out of the 12, we had two that were good. So I'm just going to send out two. And I'm just going to find two that I like. I want somebody who's like me when I went into there to spy out the land. And so he went out there and he says, yeah, you'll do. You're, you kind of, you're like a young me. Come on. You can go. And so he just got two guys he knew would stay in faith the whole time and wouldn't come back with a bad report. We're not going through that again. And it was told the king of Jericho saying, behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. Now how'd they know that? I really don't have a good answer for how they know this. Because if they say, well, these are the strangers, well, it's Jericho. Jericho was a place that apparently was a, a crossroads of, of sorts and a lot of people would come. Um, and so Jericho had people coming in and people going out. It was not unusual for have uh, people from other nationalities come on through. So just the fact that there's two Israelites there, or just the fact that they're shorter than uh, maybe the, the tall giants that are there. I don't know that that would necessarily be the tip off either, but somehow they they hear about this. So how do they how do they hear? Now this is an idolatrous city. This is a city that serves idols. So if they serve idols, they basically serve and worship Satan. They involved in all kinds of um, witchcraft, probably even and all kinds of of arts in that area. So if they got some of these people and some of these arts, don't you think if you were Satan, we don't want these people to have a to come in here and take over this land. We got to expose this plot. He's probably got people and he's telling them they're here. They're here. They're in your city. I think that the way the best way I can come up with this is the way that they know is that some of their priestess or prophets or uh, whatever they ha- they have in there. In their worship of Satan, in some of their seances or some of their ceremonies, got word. Satan gave them word. Hey, you got spies coming in the city. They're here to check it out, so they can destroy you. Get them. That's my that's my best guess. I've never heard anybody else make that guess. That's just kind of a guess I make. But uh, I think I think it's probably what had, what had gone on. Because if you saw the guys, you just follow the guys. You just follow them. Oh, wait a minute. Those, we don't, we don't know those guys. Let's go follow them. See what's going on. We'd go in, and check them guys out. But that's not what happened. If they, if they saw the, the men, they have a description of them. If we're looking for, you know, two guys about this tall. But they didn't have that. They didn't know it was men. They knew it was two men. Two men came from the Israelites. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. So it may be that whoever brought this report also told them where they went. Because they come knocking on the door. Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I don't know. Pursue them quickly. You might overtake them. She lies. She absolutely lies. And said, "Well, that's not right, folks. You do not have to give the truth to those who do not want it." Somehow, we got this notion that as Christians, we have to give the truth to everybody. And you do not. How many times have there been people say in Nazi Germany who were hiding, um, hiding Jews, and they came knocking at the door? Do you have any Jews here? Well, I guess we have to tell you the truth. No, you don't. How many people in this country were protecting slaves down in the basement? The underground railroad railroad or where the, the thing they, they had. Come knocking on the door. We hear you got some slaves here. No, we don't. You think that God was okay with that? I think he was just fine with it. See, we got the idea that lying is the idea that whenever somebody asks you for a truth, that you have to give it. But Jesus did not give all truth to all people. He actually taught in such a way that they wouldn't understand the truth that he was teaching. Don't, don't feel that you have to give up everything. Some people, no. they If they want the truth, all they want it for is to do harm and destruction. And those are not the people we need to give it to. So you can either stand there and say, I'm not telling you. Or you can do what Rahab did here. Because I never see a rebuke from her. All I ever see is her faith being talked about. That <laughs> she protected them. I, I often wonder this, because I, I don't have a straight answer. When I read this story, this is the one answer I don't get, quite get. What did the spies have to do? Why were they needed? I really don't understand why. Why were they needed to go in? Did they find out some strategic information? There was absolutely nothing that these spies came out with that I see was being used. Because they got the plan from God. The plan from God had nothing to do with what was going on inside the city. It had nothing to do with their defenses, with their towers, with their chariots, nothing to do with it at all. You walk right outside the city. I'm going to collapse the walls. Are you on top them? I don't know why they. I don't know why they sent them. Unless really the only reason to send them was to find Rahab. The only thing I see that came from their trip inside was to find Rahab. Now look at what Rahab says here. And the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I do not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Laid them in such a way that you could hide two guys inside of them. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now there's no way out. Now before they lay down she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, "I know that the Lord has given you the land." Look at her look at her look at her words that she uses. "I know that the Lord and that is their special word for their God. I know that the Lord has given you the land." Is that past, present, or future? It is the exact same phraseology that God spoke to Abraham, that God spoke to Isaac, that God spoke to Jacob. I have given you the land. That this person from Jericho is speaking the very words that God spoke to Abraham, to Isaac, into Jacob, I know that God has given you the land. How does she get the words that God spoke? How does she get that? Because right now, folks, in the natural, they don't have the land, but in God's view, they do. She does not speak as one from the land. She speaks as one hearing from God. It's amazing what she says here. I know that the Lord has given you the land that the terror of you has fallen on us. I know the Lord has given you the land. She does not say, we know. She says, I know the Lord has given you the land. And that the terror of you has fallen on us; that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. So you can look at it this way: she speaks of herself, she speaks of her city, and she speaks of her land, in that order. Our whole land—we're terrified of you guys. When they came up the first time, they were terrified of them. They didn't know that they were terrified of them. Now look at look at her reasons here. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. That's the first thing he did. They heard about that. We heard, for we, not I. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. They heard about that. And as soon as we heard, again the word we, as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. All of them heard the same report. All of them fell into fear. But one of them turned that fear into a love and a respect for God and repented. Only one. Rahab. That's why it's only I know the Lord has given you the land. The other ones didn't. The other ones were not speaking the words of God. Only she was. They all were exposed to the same stories. But only one person went to a place of belief. For the Lord your God he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now what's the difference between what she says there at the end and what the New Testament tells us to confess about God? Paul's words in Romans? Doesn't she measure up? She sure does. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. She does not say that they are saved. She does not say that they believe in God. As far as we know, only Rahab does. But she says, I want to bring them along too. They're part of the deal. So the man answered her, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall, and she said to them, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. See, she knows their ways. They'll be out there about three days looking for you. After that, you can get there. Now, think of all that went into this. Her house is on the wall. It has access to be able to let these guys down. I don't know if she bought the house, if her father bought the house, if his father before him bought the house. Don't know when the house was bought. But somewhere along the line, someone got the idea, let's buy the house on the wall. Let's buy that apartment right there. It's got a nice window on the wall. We can look out when we want to. And I'm sure that one of the parties, maybe the wife, maybe the husband was saying, oh, you know how much more money it is for a house on the wall? Let's just get one that's more in the city. I mean, the price is half. No, no, no. I really want to have the view. I really want to have the, you know, be able to look outside and not just be stuck looking at the city. I want the view. We're paying all that money for a view. That's ridiculous. You know how much more I'm going to have to work to to have that money to pay for a view for you? And eventually they, they went out, not realizing that this was going to save their lives. Isn't that amazing? I have that in one of my questions before we get to heaven. When was that house bought? When did they buy that house? What kind of leading went on to get them to buy that house on the wall? that had access to the roof and had access to to let them down hmm I mean if they're near the, they have access to the roof isn't that kind of like a penthouse I mean isn't this kind of like the, the best there was that TV series you know the high rise apartment in the sky what was that uh, Jefferson. Jefferson's. <laughs> the Jefferson's The Jefferson's the deluxe apartment in the sky <laughs> yeah we have um, that's what they have they're up there at the top. They have access to the roof. Access to the roof helped them hide the people. But all, every time I go over this story, folks, I can't find any reason for the spies other than to find Rahab. That was it. They, I don't even think Joshua knew that she was there, but God knew she was there. Because God said they all heard the stories, but this one decided to have faith and I've had conversations with this one and I've told apparently God told this one this one Rahab I have given them the land because how else does she know the very verbiage the very wording that God used and she spoke it she spoke the words of God what do you think it did to the children of Israel the two two guys who came in what do you think it did to them when they heard her use God's language Wait, wait, say that again. What did you just say? I said, I know that God has given you the land. Who told you to say that? I cannot imagine that conversation not happening. How do you know to say that? That's exactly how our God spoke it to Abraham. Can you imagine coming back? If I was coming back from one of the spies, this is one of the things I want to report. Joshua, you, we ran into something this is what they said. This is what they spoke to us. So we made a deal with them because they protected us. And we made a deal with them. Joshua's okay with it. Even though God told him to wipe out the inhabitants, he's okay with this. Somehow he's okay with it. And God's okay with it because he crashed all the wall except for her's. So she tells them how to escape. So the men said to her, we will be blameless. Now look, here's where we have, you know, you ever see the, the, um, car dealerships that have commercials and at the end, the really fast talking guy? Yeah. I heard one on my way driving around today. I've never heard one so fast. <laughs> I mean, it was truly garbled. There was absolutely no way that you could have heard it. I, have, I mean, usually it's really fast, but you can catch, you can catch the words. I could not catch any of these words. I said, man, they just really took that and sped that up, but they at least say we said it. So the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house, into the street, his blood shall be in his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, And we will be free from your oath, which you have made us swear. Then she said, According to your words, so be it. So they got all the all the things. Anybody leave the house, they're dead. That's not our fault. If you want them saved, you gotta be here in the house. Close the door, nobody gets outside the door, this is where you got to be. If you don't put the scarlet cord down, we're not (laughs) we're not in it. So they got all the all the things and everybody agrees to it. She sent them away, they departed. She bound the scarlet the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain. Now she bound it right away. She put it on, well not waiting. Putting this on here now. Can you imagine somebody coming in and says, why do you have that scarlet cord on the window? Oh, it's just pretty. I just kind of like it. You know, it's a nice scarlet color, a nice red color, and you know, I just thought the window needed some color. So we, uh, we just put that up there. It wasn't there before. No, it just kind of looks good there. I'm sure she got a few comments. So the two men returned. Well, they they departed and went to the mountain, stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, crossed over, and they came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Well that's a whole lot different than the other report, would not it? Now if we jump on down to Joshua chapter 6 verse 17. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction it and all who are in it only Rahab the harlot shall live she and all who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord; they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, donkey, with the sword of the, of the the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house. See, he's still calling her a harlot. Go into the harlot's house, and for there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought her, brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now she also got into the lineage of David, King David. Thereby also got into the lineage of Jesus. It's quite an amazing uh, little feat. The Word of God makes sure that you know it too. It doesn't usually mention the wives. But she's one of the wives that she, that's mentioned. I'm going to let you know. She got included here. God th- thought pretty highly of her. Well, you can see why God thought so highly of her, because it was more than just hiding the, the, the slaves. She saw what had gone on, and she believed God. And again, God talked to her. God spoke these words to her, and she hung on to them, and she began to speak them herself. So by faith, Rahab, she may have had, she may not have had many opportunities to serve God in this heathen city. I mean, if you are a believer in the heathen city, you are the only believer you're it if you're going to have church it's a church of one we don't even know that their kids are coming or their parents are coming we know they got spared too if they came to the house and they stayed but she's the only one we know of before the fall of Jericho that was saved no. after the fall of Jericho the rest of them may have gotten in there too boy we, we saw this, this God is real we're going to serve this God but we're talking about before him. So she may not have had too many opportunities to serve God in this heathen city. may not have been too many things to do it. But when the opportunity came, she was called upon, she obeyed. Now God had spoken to her, it seems anyway, that God had spoken to her and gave her the words of Abraham, that he had spoken to Abraham. Well, what if he also spoke to her and said, I want you to be on the lookout, i got two guys in the city. I mean, if the devil's over here talking to his people, God can be over here talking to his one you be looking out for them. And maybe she was out there in the, the street looking. And maybe God said, call those guys. Hey guys, you looking for a place to stay tonight? Come on in here. Maybe that's how they, they came upon it. I don't know. But when God called upon her, she was ready and she obeyed. Put this in your outline for you. How much room did the enemy have to, to hit her with, you didn't do enough. Has the devil ever hit you with that? When you need a miracle? Father God, I want to be spared when they come here and they wipe out Jericho. Father God, I ask for a miracle that we wouldn't go down with the rest of the city. I serve you. I want to bring my family along with me. And God provided a way by sending the spies over there to her. And God may have told her, "Says those are the two guys, bring them in. They're going to help you. And she may have brought them in and risked her life to hide them. It may have been a dangerous thing to do in the natural. But when you're in the right place, spiritually, it's the safest place to be. But has the enemy ever told you when you're believing God for healing? When you're believing God for a financial miracle? When you're believing God for provision? You didn't do enough. You didn't do enough. I'm sure he probably hit her with this too. What have you done for God? You haven't done anything for God here in this heathen city. So, how much did Israel do before each of these events that were talked about? How much did Israel do for God before the Red Sea? You no, too much today. How much did they do for God before Jericho? Well, they got a little bit better, but still wasn't great. I put this in your outline for you. The issue is not how much you have done, but what will you do when called upon? What will you do when you are called upon? The enemy always wants you to look at what you have done and use that as reason to disqualify you. But if you go through the Word of God, it's not what they had done. It's what they did when they were called upon. The man who was on at the pool, what was he called upon to do? Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Nothing that he had done in the past was ever brought up as being a qualifier or a disqualifier. When Peter came to the to the gate, he didn't look at the man and see, What have you done for the kingdom of God? He called upon him. He says, Such as I have I give to you. Rise, take up your bed, or in the name of Jesus. And he grabs him by the hand and he he rises up. When the man was told to go wash, when the lepers were told to go show themselves to the priest, none of it was, What did you do before? all of it was what are you doing now? God has called upon you and are you willing to do what he says to do now? The devil wants you to focus on the past and say you haven't done enough to qualify. But you can hardly find an example in the word of God where he's looking at the past. The past prepared you to be ready to answer the call. But that's what the past role was. It was prepare you to be ready to answer the call. Rahab's past prepared her to be ready to answer the call. Then when God called upon her, she would be ready. So God must have spoken to her and says, I got some people. I'm going to want you to hide them. And he called upon her. And she answered and she did it. And by faith she was saved. Because when God called upon her, she answered. So what God what is God going to call upon you to do? God may call upon you to minister to somebody. God may call upon you to forgive somebody. God may call upon you to walk in love, reach out. Whatever it might be. But don't keep your focus on have I done enough to qualify. Our focus has to be when he calls on me, will I answer? Will I do what he says to do? Am I the person that God can call upon? And I'll be there. That's the one he's looking for. Our past, folks, is really only to get us ready for when in the present God says, I need you to do this. And how are we willing to do it? All these examples, when they were called upon, it was not easy things to do. Easily they could get into fear. We can imagine how much fear it is to step into the Red Sea with walls of water on either side of you. We can imagine how much fear it is to go after Jericho taking on the biggest, toughest city or maybe not the biggest but at least the toughest city right at the start with imposing walls and they have no battering ram or any way to take down a wall and that's where we're going to start. all the things going on in your past it's getting you ready for something and God's going to call upon you and say are you ready Father we thank you that you have prepared us you have gotten us ready there are things that you will call upon us to do and when you do we need to be ready Rahab waited for how long all those years Israel wandered in the wilderness She waited for something to do. Something to do for her God. And when the time came and you called upon her, she was ready. She hid them. She prepared them. She lowered her down. She put herself at risk to obey your call. I thank you, Father. And even though whenever you call on us in the natural, it will look like we are at risk. But when we do what you tell us to do, we are in the safest place
1: possible. Thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen.